few episodes back, we had Allie Paberty on, a solo rider, heading off on a motorcycle adventure. Now, she'd done many other motorcycle-centric trips in years gone by, but she'd always had a friend along for the ride. And they enjoyed their curvy roads and the new places and all the exploration together. And they also dealt with whatever came up together. But this time, this trip, this was different. There was no pillion and there was no friends that were allowed to ride with her on this trip. She's going to talk more about that today. So what it meant was that Allie Peberty, now in her 60s, was about to do her first solo motorcycle trip. And suddenly, this confident ex-police officer with years of riding experience, some of it as a motorcycle cop, and loads of travel experience, suddenly began to have some doubts. And that fear, uneasiness that Allie was feeling was all new to her. This was not something she was used to. Well, she did the trip, and she returned. And this conversation today is just after she returned home. We talked about her packing, her fears, what went wrong, and some did go wrong, whether she'll ever do it again, and how this trip has changed her. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Payne. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Chris Birch. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. As I mentioned at the start, we had Allie Peberty on some episodes back. The date was July 14th, 2022, for those who are looking for that episode. Allie talked on that episode about preparing for her first solo trip and dealing with some of the apprehensions about going it alone. She's a seasoned rider with plenty of experience, training. She's already done lots of travel. But it occurred to her when planning for this trip that all of her previous trips had always been with a friend, which meant there was two people to sort things out and, you know, deal with everything together. So new fears and apprehensions crept into an otherwise solid rider, traveler, with years of experience. This time, it was only her. And she began wondering if she had what it took to do the trip solo. She has just returned from that solo trip. is Ali Pebbody. I'm from the UK, near Manchester, and I have just returned from uh, just over eight weeks tour of Europe, um, putting just short of 6,000 miles on my bike, uh, and have happily arrived home safely and in one piece. Welcome back, Ellie. Thank you. 
before you left on this trip, there's a lot of apprehension. That's what we talked about originally when, when we had you on. Mm-hmm. You were sort of dealing with some apprehensions about uh, traveling on your own and, and, and doing this solo trip. Now, you said it was six weeks, I think? Uh, well, it was actually eight. It was just over eight, eight weeks in the end. Okay, just over eight weeks. Can you sort of recap a little bit about how you were feeling before you went on the trip? I'd never um, been on such an extended tour before, work commitments, etc. cetera. Uh, at best, I think three weeks was about the most I'd ever managed. So I think it was a combination of the length of time I was planning on going for, combined with the fact that I was doing it on my own, which uh, was, again, for such, for, for such a long period of time, I had never done. So... As you, you may recall, one of the, my, my fears was dropping the bike and not being in a situation to pick it up mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, just normal things that you, you think might be out of your control. The two things that I remember, of course, is the one you dropping your bike. And the other one was just the apprehension of something to do with age, I guess, getting getting older oh, yeah. and, and yeah. dealing with those sorts of things. Um, well, I mean... <laughs> I, I know I'm older in numbers and, uh, you know, I'm now nearly 65. I don't feel it, though. I still feel like a very uh, younger younger person. Um, the things that come with, with, with age is was, was a concern about the weight of the bike and managing it and things like that. Now, I, I will admit that the weight of the bike was challenging for me, very, very challenging for me. But that's because... Um, the night before I left, when I packed my bike up, it had been my intention to take soft luggage. Uh, I wanted to try and go as light as possible. Um, I didn't have any Vario panniers or hard luggage. I was going to take a, a tailpack, a BMW tailpack, and then another Oxford bag and, and make that work. And I had done a practice run in terms of packing the bags, so I knew I could get everything I wanted to take. But when I actually put them on the night before I was due to go, I stood back and looked at it and I thought, that's just not going to work. And I don't know why I hadn't done a whole proper dry run beforehand. I'd done the back one, but not the one that was going to sit on the pillion seat, which turned out to be taller than the one behind it. So it was like tall and thin behind me. And I thought, this, the weight distribution is not going to work. It, it's simply not going to work. And I went to bed fretting that night thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and I, I just decided that in the morning I would ring my BMW garage and if they had a set of Vario panniers in, it's meant to be. My ferry was at 6.30 p.m., so I'd got a good few hours to play with. And ultimately, that's what happened. I phoned them in the morning, and uh, they had some. So I went straight down there, had them fitted, came back, had to unpack, repack. And then, you know, the timing of that was literally I just got off the, got off on the, on the bike and set off. And um, bearing in mind I've had three GSs prior to this one, and had Vario luggage on two of them, and gone abroad, fully laden, including pillions. I just assumed it would just feel like it had done previously, but nothing could have actually <laughs> prepared me for the weight of what this bike now became. Because, of course, the 1250 is already between four and five stone heavier than my last GS, which was the, the last of the air-cooled in 2012 bikes, which was only just over 203 kilograms. The GS1250 comes in at 249. And then I have since weighed the panniers and the luggage, and they come in at a stone apiece. So already I'm putting on a, uh, an extra 20 kilos just at the panniers, not with my luggage inside them. 
What's a stone in, in stone metric is, or um, imperial? <laughs> what's a stone? Uh, it's 14 pounds or, um, well, tw- 22 kilos is three and a half stone. Six, six, or 20, 20 kilos is three stone. So it's just six, about six and a half kilos right, per six, pannier. Okay, yeah, that's, that's empty. Six. Right. So that's, that's, that's a fair way to carry, you know. And then put my luggage in and then myself on top. And I, I worked out at the end of it, I was fully laden. It was 342 kilos or 754 pounds or 54 stone. And it was, and, I, and I'm only 51 kilos, you know, I'm, I'm under 120 pounds. Right. So I, I set off down the road and I thought, good grief, this is, I'm going to have to really sort of, now I've done this before when you set off and normally within X number of miles, you, you acclimatize to the weight, which of course I did. Um, but I was also riding on brand new 80-20 tires. I, I put some Scorpion, Pirelli Scorpion Rally street tires on, which were an 80-20 tire, because I anticipated that some of the roads in Croatia and Slovenia might be you know, challenging in parts. So I got these brand new semi-knobbly tires on, which were nowhere on them at all, which of course they roll a bit, don't they, when they're first put on. Mm. Um, Plus this hellishly heavy bike. And uh, so off I set. And yes, I got acclimatized to it. Yes, I got used to it, but it made everything so much more. I had to be so precise about everything I did. And one of the things that very, very quickly became an annoyance for me was the fact that with the weight of the bike and everything on it, and the fact that it's factory lowered, you may recall, um, and because I was riding on the wrong side of the road, because of course in Britain we ride on the right side of the road. Uh, I think it's the other way around, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm now riding on, on the right and the camber falls to the right, but my side stand is on the left. So if I'd have had a pound for every single time I pulled up wanting to stop to take a photograph or park or whatever, that I actually couldn't get my side to stand down, I would have come back very wealthy because it happened constantly. And I don't mind admitting, you know, the air was blue on several occasions because it was just tiresome. And I couldn't, I couldn't even risk, you know, I did I tried obviously every sort of thing I could to sort of deal with this. I, the, 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 the balance of the bike and the weight was so precarious, I couldn't afford just to lean it a little to the right to kick it forward because it, it could have so easily just gone over on me with the weight. But that was a real uh, inverted commas problem or something that I just had to, it, it was a daily daily occurrence and it was a daily annoyance um, because sometimes I, I'd, I'd, see a, I'd see something I wanted to take a photograph of, I'd stop, couldn't get the side stand down. And by the time I'd crept forward far enough by, to a part of the road that I could, I'd missed the shot. Mm-hmm. So then if I wanted it, I had to get off and walk down the road and, you know, um, in the end on a K, well, yeah, quite a lot. I, I started, if it was safe to, I'd ride onto the other side of the road and face oncoming traffic effectively, effectively had there been any traffic there. I have to say most of the roads I rode on virtually the whole of the tour was, they were empty. There was just nothing on them. So, um, that that took me back a bit and it preyed on my mind the whole of the tour because I'm thinking, realistically, can I do this again another year or should I be looking at another bike now? And that mm. then became a real thought process because I don't know how to cut the GS umbilical cord. Right. 
It makes me wonder though, if you knowing that it's 754 pounds, when you say that number, it sounds so big to me. Just knowing the weight. No, I didn't work it out till I got back, Jim. Oh, because I, 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 I say because if you left knowing the weight, I'm wondering no. if that doesn't play on your on no. your nerves. So you just go by I, the feel of it. You you just know yeah, this thing is darn yeah, heavy. Yeah, and of course it's a little lower. What I did do towards the end was I'd I'd been riding it on low suspension and I put it on automatic to see if that would help. And I think it did fractionally, but of course even on auto it adjusts to the weight it's carrying, so it it still goes down. So it might have improved the situation slightly, but of course it did mean that when I first started the bike, I mean, I don't know the tech here and I could be wrong, but it, it seemed to me that when it, I was much, not, not tippy-toeing completely, but I was much taller till I turned the engine on and then it's, the bike seemed to settle down. Would that be right? Would that be fine in the automatic suspension? I'm not familiar with the automatic suspension settings. Now, I'm, now by the, same, the sound of what you're describing is that you've got it manually set up with maybe a bit too much a preload on the spring and the computer is taking that pre like backing that preload off in the automatic mode. That's what I picture happening from what you're describing. Maybe. I mean, I've not said any, it's nothing's manual on, uh, from my point of view, it's, it's one that says low suspension or automatic or high. And you haven't said I- high suspension, I guess. No, 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 no. I would have it always have it low because so I can reach the floor. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, because yeah. when you when you set up your bike, and this is gets more difficult the more we load it, but you're supposed to set up the the preload so that yeah. it has a certain amount of drop to just yeah, yeah, and not to adjust your ride height necessarily. So I think I think once I put it on auto, it did work, and I just needed to be mindful of the fact when I first started the engine or first started to stride the bike, it was a little taller than I would expect it to be, and then it sort of sort of settled down into itself. Mm. Um, but it didn't take the problem away with the size stand. That was that was still an issue. And and as I said, as far as the weight's concerned, it was when I got back, um, having on those occasions that I completely removed the luggage from the bike so I could have a, a ride out the next day with nothing on, no weight, you know. Um, and carrying the bags into the hotels or wherever I was staying. And I was just thinking, these are just ridiculously heavy. And I just was so curious that when I got back, I weighed everything. Mm, and yeah. and they're kind of bulky too. I mean, for carrying into hotels. Yeah. If I'd have, so this is what something I got wrong on this trip because I did look uh, too late in the last few days at, at some bag options, still soft luggage because I, I kind of didn't really want to go down the Vario route. Um, and, and I don't know the name of the company, but they're like almost like they almost throw over from the sides all the way around the back and drop, drop on either side. Like if you said the makeup. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Just carrying them because you're, you're a small woman carrying yeah. those two cases. You didn't carry them both in, did you? I... I think on one occasion I carried them both for about 50 yards and then abandoned one and went back for it because it was just too heavy. <laughs> they almost yeah. need, you know, like a, like the, your airport luggage thing where you stack them. One has yep. wheels in the bottom, you know, and a handle that pulls up. That's a good idea. Or a riding companion would be the other option. That's true too. Yeah. Somebody, somebody yeah. to carry the bags for you yes. <laughs> or at least, at least split it up. So yeah. th- was this a, a deal breaker thing? The, the problem with the kickstand and the weight for you? Did it, did it, um, challenge? No, just an annoyance. Just, just an annoyance. annoyance. So it was- didn't challenge your trip. Didn't change your trip. You didn't say, no, I'm not going to no. do that because. No, 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 not at all. It was just very, very annoying every time it happened. Right. Uh, because obviously, because I was so aware of it, I tried to make sure that I'm looking at the ground thinking, can I, is it going to clear? And if it did, you know, bingo. And if it didn't, it was like, I don't believe it. You know, mm-hmm. it, or words similar. But, you were, um, you, as you said, you were very concerned about dropping the bike. 
did you drop the bike? Did you run into that problem? Because I mean, I mean, I think one of the the fears was that you you didn't know how you were going to pick it up, and we talked about somebody else coming along. Yeah, maneuvering, you know, move, maneuvering it sort of while I'm stationary at slow speeds. That was always going to be a challenge, and that mm-hmm. was always one one time that I might. Um, the answer to your question: Did I drop the bike, or did the bike drop me? Is yes. <laughs> Yes. I kind of stepped off it when it went down. Um, and I was in the middle of a cornfield in Czechoslovakia, not Czech, Czech Republic at the time. Mm. First of all, well, hang on. Why were you in the middle of a cornfield? Well, I shouldn't have been in the middle of a cornfield. Don't the tell me you're that. following your GPS. Oh, who on earth would do that? <laughs> <laughs> I have just a few things I want to tell you about. We're going to take a break for that. When we come back, Allie's going to talk about getting sort of lost, ending up in the middle of a cornfield, um, calling for help. If she gets help, how does she get out? All that coming up. Stay with us. It doesn't have to be a very long ride to enjoy the benefits of a throttle lock. It allows you to relax your hand, your wrist, so that you can focus on the ride. Now the trouble is finding one that works really well. There's only one throttle lock that I've ever tried that to me has it so dialed that when I think of it, it reminds me of Apple computer quality or maybe a Swiss watch. Actually, I've never owned a Swiss watch now that I think about it. But when I say that, you know what I mean. Because we understand how brands are associated with quality. They're brands that you buy with confidence because you know that the design is impeccable. You know that they use the highest quality materials and craftsmanship. And when it comes to throttle locks, that brand is Atlas Throttle Lock, synonymous with quality. A solid yet tiny piece of engineering. The Atlas Throttle Lock installs in minutes. It's easy to move from one bike to another. It's got two buttons on it, one for engage and one for disengage. And when you push these buttons, they provide a smooth, positive feedback so that you know exactly what you're doing without ever having to look at them. Once it's engaged, you simply twist on more power when you need it or back it off at will, all without having to disengage it. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. If you can't see it, then it's dangerous. On the road, I mean. The better your field of vision, the farther you can see down the road, then the longer you have to react. There's no better way to illuminate the road than with quality LED lights. Cyclops Adventure Sports is owned and operated by riders just like you and I, and they specialize in all kinds of lighting for motorcycles. LED replacement headlights, auxiliary lights, CAN bus plug-and-play systems for a bunch of bikes, very special yet affordable lighting made for us riders. They have the Evolution Safety Turn Signal inserts, which I have on my bike, and I love these things. They turn your front turn signals into these super bright white driving lights, which double, of course, as your, your turn signals as well. And then the back, your signals turn into super bright tail lights, and then stunningly bright brake lights. I mean, these things are so bright, they make my factory LED light look dim. And, and it was super bright when I bought the bike. Everyone commented on it, but these are even brighter than that. So the combination of the three is just, it, it's arresting for the vehicle behind. 
you can see it illuminate signs in, in your mirror, like way, way down the road. It's really, really good. And that is safety because of course, Cyclops slogan is see and be seen. And you certainly do see, and you certainly are seen with this stuff. Anyway, their website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, cyclopsadventuresports.com. I have these little spots that I, I can practice my riding skills in. You know, I find places that have a unique characteristic, something that's challenging, like deep sand, mud, rocks, uh, maybe some ridges, you know, sometimes very small area with a tight trail system, that sort of thing. I'll go there just for a few minutes to mess around or maybe 30 minutes or an hour, or a couple hours. And sometimes I'll spend the day. One of my spots was a, a decent length of logging road with nothing on it, but deep really deep, soft sugar sand. I really like this spot. The road was recently abandoned when I discovered it logged. The trees were all mowed down and hauled out. It was sort of a barren apocalyptic landscape of huge stumps and debris everywhere. Pretty common on the BC coast. This is a number of years back, but I remember it well. So this is a dead end and I could see easily when I went there, nobody else was on it. Nobody ever went to it actually. It was great for building sand riding skills. This day was a little different for me though because I'd made a change to the bike and I was kind of curious if it would make any change to me or, or what it would feel like and I wasn't expecting that much. So I got to playing around and I was spinning the bike around to go in the opposite direction. You know, you run down in a straight line, you jump on the rear brake to spin the bike sideways, which doesn't do very well in sand and then you dump the clutch and gas it out by spinning it some more. Obviously, this type of maneuver can cause some problems like high siding and other things. That's just all part of it. And I've had my feet come off before in that situation, you know, where you where the bike jams and you start to go down or something. And you're almost your foot almost automatically slides off as you sort of make a dab for it. But anyway, I wasn't expecting that, but that's just how I know the bike to feel. You know, you get used to the, how your bike feels. Well, this time I found that my my feet didn't move. They were planted so I, I come into it, the bike grabs, and I was able to maneuver out of this without dabbing my foot down. And it really took me by surprise because this was an odd feeling for me. The change I made was that I replaced my factory foot pegs, and, and they were factory metal pegs, by the way, with little teeth on them, very narrow, but I didn't have the rubber inserts in. I replaced those factory foot pegs with IMS Core Rally foot pegs. And for the rest of that day, I went to a whole bunch of little practice spots I had in that area and I messed around doing all kinds of different things. I was amazed at the difference of control that I had. It suddenly was like I had become a better rider just because my feet were so firmly planted. And once I got used to that, I could really use it. I, I could really use that confidence of knowing my foot was staying there unless I decided to lift it up and take it off that foot peg. IMS Products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. You should really have a look. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's imsproducts.com. First of all, well, hang on. Why were you in the middle of a cornfield? Well, I shouldn't have been in the middle of a cornfield. Is Don't the tell me you're following your GPS. Oh, who on earth would do that? <laughs> You just keep hearing these stories. You'd, you'd just have to be very, you'd have to be very stupid, wouldn't you? And I can just picture you're following your GPS and then finally stop in the middle of a cornfield and go, this just doesn't feel right. So what actually happened was I'd just left Germany and I'd entered into Czech Republic and immediately the conditions of the road surfaces was so different, so poor, really, really, you know, degraded tarmac and potholes and just just bad but not for my bike absolutely brilliant i wouldn't like to be riding on a road bike but you know it was fine uh so that wasn't a problem for me um 
and about 20, I'd only been gone about 20 into the, into the country by about 20 miles. And uh, the Garmin said, take a right turn. And I sort of looked at the image and there was a lake on the right hand side and it was going into a forest. And I thought, oh, that looks nice. Um, and, and then I did notice at the top of it, it said unpaved. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That would be daft. But winding back a bit, I have to say that a few days earlier, I had um, found myself going through a forest on a on a forest road accident, accidentally, not through following Garmin, but by following Google because the road was closed where I wanted to go. So I turned around and I thought, hmm, I wonder which way I could go now. And I just looked at the Google map and could see a road to the right and up the dirt. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll follow that one. But as I climbed this road, I went round the left-hand bend. Suddenly, the road stopped being a road, and it went into a track and into a forest. Uh, but I was going uphill, fully laden, and I can't stop because you can't stop because I, I just couldn't. So I thought, right, let's go for this. And I ended up riding through this forest off on an off-road. It was hard, you know, it was manageable, but nonetheless, I really rather wouldn't have been there on my own. Mm -hmm. But I survived it. And when I came out the other end, I, I felt so pleased with myself. And I just thought that was actually great. I really enjoyed that. But it was stupid because I shouldn't have done it, you know. So after that, I thought, right, don't put yourself in a situation like that again. So when I was looking at this route that it wanted me to turn right on, I thought, hmm, should I? I thought, well, it's tarmac onto it. So I thought I'll go as far as I can. So I turned right. And it was fine at first. Um, and then the tarmac stopped and it was just compact, hard earth. And that was fine. And I thought, I can ride that. That's fine. And I just thought, it's all right. It's all right. If it carries on like this, it's fine. And a similar thing happened. The road suddenly swung round to the left, so out of view. And as it did so, uh, it immediately started to climb and the surface completely uh, changed. And there was lots of shale and rocks, small rocks and stuff like that. And I was in the same situation where I thought, I actually can't stop here now. I've got to keep going. So I just sort of called upon everything that I knew I could do, stood up on the pegs, gave it a fistful of throttle and managed to get up this hill, hill with my heart in my mouth and carried on. And it wound around and passed the lake and all the rest of it. And it was OK. I was doing all right. And I thought, OK, I can do this. This is fine. And then suddenly the road stopped and I found myself in a field, a, a, a flat, flattened field. Um, and, and I'm thinking, where's the road gone? And then on the right hand side, I could just see some tractor trails where obviously heavy, heavy tractors have been coming through. On either side, there was these cornfields. So I headed for there. And as I'm riding up towards them, I can see there's the, f the two, two tracks on either side where the tires of the tractor have been and then a groove in the middle. Mm. So as I'm riding up to it, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to go in that groove. But Jim... I was looking at the groove. Oh. So where did I go? <laughs> I was just thinking, even you saying to yourself, I don't want to go in that groove. That's enough for me to draw me over yeah. to that. Yeah, but I looked at it. And next thing, I'm in it. And next thing, the bike's gone down. Uh, and I could not believe, oh, I was furious with myself. So predicament. So here you are in a field, a cornfield, while well, you're into, into farmer's areas, I guess now. Yeah. Your, your bike is down. There's nobody around. What's no. the, what, what goes through your head? How are you going to deal with it at the well, time? I, I, I sort of, sort of um, gracefully got off the bike, stood back and said, oh, dear, I've dropped my bike. Um, I would just very, very annoyed with myself. It was also about two in the afternoon. It was really hot, bright sunlight. 
So I thought, right, take all the luggage off first of all. So I stripped the back, bike back and took everything off. And I thought, the thing was, though, it fell at an angle. It didn't fall flat. So it, it didn't, there was a little bit of an embankment up to the right. And it meant that I couldn't do the pickup that I'd practiced by sitting on the seat and using my legs to push up because I didn't have the room because it was sort of on an angle. Oh, and so, because the the ground angled up, it was sort of like the bike was yes, down exactly. lower. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it, well, the bike almost seemed to me not standing up. It wasn't standing up at all. It was right down. But but because the bank banking was coming up, it, the the seat was just right into the banking, so I couldn't. There was nowhere to, for me to put my knees and legs. If you yeah. if you if you like. Yeah, because to do so the I, lift you're talking about, where you put your bike back to the bike, the, the, you really need the bike to be up a bit, or those first that first foot is very difficult. That first yes. bit that you pick it up, extremely yeah. difficult. Yeah. And I have done that, but it, it wasn't going to happen on this occasion. So I looked at it and I thought, Brett, Tra- Brett, Ta- Brett Tax, I don't know how to pronounce his surname. I watched a video of his and he was showing another way of picking these bikes up. And it was when it was a bike on an angle like mine. And I thought, well, let's give that a go. And basically, aren't you lie on the, you lie on your tummy across the seat and then reach your arms down to the frame and, and, and push your body across the seat um, so I gave that a go and I, I got some lift, but then it became weight. Um, and, and I, I let it go down. I tried that twice. And the second time I felt something pop in my back oh. and I knew I'd injured myself. Mm. So at that point, it's like, now I'm doubly cross with myself because it was, I thought, what, what is mid back, mid back as well, not low back, mid back. Anyway, I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to pick this up. And, uh, you know, your options are to walk really, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so that's what was going to happen. And then this vision sent from heaven appeared in front of me in the shape of a man in a lime green T-shirt on a mountain bike. And I just looked at him. I just said, excuse me, do you think you could possibly help me pick my bike up? And, of course, he looked at me. And, uh, I sh- well, we- he couldn't speak a word of English. I couldn't speak a word of Czech. So we got the, uh, the our phones out. We did a bit of translations. And he, uh, we, suffice to say, we got the bike up. And um, and I managed to get it all, all laden again. And, and bless him, he followed me all the way out. He said, I'll follow you out. The way I was going back through to this farmyard, which he didn't need to do, but he did. Uh, so kind. Wow. So after that, I thought, well... I've been so lucky. Oh, what I did do in the middle of all of that, before uh, before I'd thought about what I wanted to do to get out of this predicament, I thought, now is this the time I should press that SOS button? Because I can't pick my bike up. I have no idea where I am. Mm. Now, rightly or wrongly, I did press it. Um, and I didn't, I was told by the operator, this is an emergency service. And I said, well, I'm, I'm in a situation, explained it. And then she, so she said, well, is it an emergency? And I said, well, kind of is to me because I can't pick my bike up and I'm sort of in an isolated spot. Uh, and she said, well, what do you want, fire, police or ambulance? She was really very unhelpful. <laughs> and um, and I thought, I can't ask for any of those because that's, that's just not right. You know, having been in the services, it seemed wrong to be asking for any of those services. And in the end, she, she, she was getting quite abrupt. She said, I'll try and put you down through to breakdown recovery. And, and and off she went and left me on the line. And this is automatically done through your helmet. Anyway, needless to say, that call dropped out, so I never got it connected anyway. But it did make me think, well, maybe I should try and ring my breakdown service. Maybe that would work. And I did try, but I couldn't get the call to connect. 
Oh, so, so this is the one through your bike. I'd forgotten about that. So yes. this is, your bike is already set up. Did, the, did it call SOS. automatically or did you have to do it manually? I pushed the button. No, it didn't, interestingly. Even though the bike had gone down, it didn't. Mm. But is that because I hit the kill switch straight away? I would think it's just to do with the, with the way it went down. It's it's probably yeah. not seen as an accident. It's going to take a certain impact Possibly. to really yeah. set things off. But but that's interesting. But, you know, this is the, the one of the big debates about this sort of thing is what is an emergency? An emergency to you is is something laughable to someone else and, and yeah. vice versa. You know, you sort of work your way along. And, and so, I mean, it's tough to know. I mean, I've had people or I've heard stories of people. I didn't actually speak to these people. I heard the story about people who got a flat tire on their ATV and they pressed the, the button because they wanted somebody to come and fix their tire. And it's, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, so it's it's difficult to um, to understand, I guess, really what it's, when it, you should it be pressing is. it, and, and what, especially you know, in being the police and and people who dial nine 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 for silly reasons like that, I was also conscious of that, thinking, well, this isn't an emergency really, but I am in a predicament, and um, so if I found myself in that situation again, based upon that experience, I wouldn't press it again. Mm. I, I probably would maybe try for that breakdown call, but that, given that I couldn't get that connected either. But, you know, I mean, I knew I wasn't, I knew that there were some farm buildings not too far away. So, you know, if I'd have set off walking, eventually I would have come across somebody eventually, you know. And I was so glad he was a, a mountain biker. So not one of those skinny little slim things that you see riding up the mountains <laughs> on their road bikes. You know, he was more substantial. Right. <laughs> um, but, but interestingly, he, uh, he, he, you know, he sort of wanted to try and pick it up himself. Now I'm saying, no, no, let me help me because I thought he won't know how to, you know, how he should be doing it. But no, and he tried and he nearly bust a gut. Then he phoned a friend. <laughs> Is that right? And, yeah, he phoned a friend and I couldn't understand the word, of course, but I heard the word enduro. So he was obviously trying to explain it was an enduro style bike, but whoever his friend was, they couldn't come. So I just said, look, let me, we'll do it together. We'll do it together, which is obviously what we did in the end. So it took the two of you to pick up the bike. This is after you removed all your all your bags. Yeah, well, he, he, he just, I mean, he wouldn't know the te technique of it. You know, I'm trying to show him how to do it, but he's just thinking, I'm a man, I can pick this bike up, you yeah. know, and it's not that easy, is it? So, you mean it's not that easy to get him to understand that? Yes. No, that's a tough one. You're going to have trouble with that, even if he speaks English. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Did, did, did that little problem you had there, did, did that again shape how you feel about riding in any sort of precarious situations? Because it sounds like to me that you already are being very, very careful. Uh, well, I am, but it it highlighted it. It highlighted because I'd had that forestry trail success. Again, a bit sort of like, shouldn't be doing this on my own. Um, I'm almost glad it happened, Jim, if this doesn't sound weird, because I could have got, not cocky with it, but have been lulled into a false sense of security thinking, if I come across something like that, I can do it. When the reality is I shouldn't even be trying on my own. Mm. I just shouldn't be going down roads like that on my own. So... Actually, what happened to me in the fields, I just put that down to really good luck because it worked out as it did. It wasn't good luck in terms of how I injured my back, but, you know, I survived and it was fine and, you know, nobody died and the bike was all right and so on and so forth. And it then made me think, right, don't be stupid again, Alison. So that meant that thereafter, um, the number of roads I came across in Croatia that would, you'd go around a corner and it was fine and then suddenly the time I could stop and you're onto gravel. Uh, or even sometimes big stones, and you'd be thinking, well, I wonder how long that goes on for, where does it go, and what happens? And I just got quite good at turning my bike around, fully laden, you know, <laughs> just sort of 
because just finding another route, you know. Was it disappointing that you couldn't go there? Like, would you prefer? Yeah, very Yes, I was massively disappointed. Did you have any other spots? I mean, I think the bike fell over once, didn't it? Well, the bike, well, it was either a vindictive person who had a run-in at reception who who, who pushed it over or the wind blew it over. Now, I know that sounds... Okay, so start with the, the interaction with this person at reception. So there was a guy in reception in, on one of the islands in Croatia who was, he was just vile. He was rude. He was obnoxious, ill-mannered. His first interaction, you know, when I walked into the hotel in bags and I said, hello, do you speak English? Of course I speak English. And I thought, ooh, okay. And uh, it kind of went downhill from there, really. Uh, especially when the hotel didn't turn out to be a hotel of anything other than rooms and that the, um, the description on booking.com was, was fictional, effectively. You know, maybe five years ago it had been a proper working hotel, but there was no restaurant, there was no terrace, there was no bar, there was no nothing. You literally had a room. And it was the most expensive place I'd chosen so far. And I said, it says it has a restaurant. The chef, he's got COVID. And, and I thought, well, I later found out that he'd been saying that for the last two years as a, as a habit. And the fact that the restaurant actually closed down, um, uh, you have to go into the town. And I said, well, hang on a minute. I said, I'm a woman on my own. I actually don't want to go down into town. Um, I'd rather eat in the restaurant here. Well, you can't. There's no restaurant. And this is kind of how it went. Mm-hmm. And it turned out there was no Wi-Fi in my room. And it said there was Wi-Fi in the hotel as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was it was a bad interaction, and I complained to, to Booking.com, and I just said this is you know not right, and so they phoned them, and it it, it just was awkward. Oh, this is this and is right when you're booking, you phone Booking.com. When I'm in my room, when I'm in a room with no Wi-Fi, no no restaurant, no bar to go to, no terrace to sit on, you know, yeah. this sort of stuff in this in this hotel that's as I say, it was over it was over hundred pounds, it was the most expensive one, but there was nowhere else for me to stay in mm. that at that time so it was Hobson's choice so when I came out in the morning I don't know if you've heard of the the winds that that come over the mountains in uh, Croatia I believe they're called the Bora winds and they are notorious and um, they actually close the main road that runs along the Adriatic coast from down near Dubrovnik all the way up to the top when these winds are at their worst because they close the roads to bikes and high-sided vehicles, obviously camper vans and things, um, because they are that bad. So this morning when I came out, before I found my bike on its side, the winds were gusting phenomenally. And, you know, it was it really took me back because it, it hadn't been like that the day before. Um, and some people on the ferry had said, that oh, they'd, well, the ferries won't run when the winds are bad. Um, and, that you know, they are due. So I thought, blimey. Uh, so when I walked around the corner and found my bike on its side, I just could not believe my eyes, you know. And it had, it was so the side stand was because it had blown off the side stand because it couldn't have blown onto the side stand, could it? Mm-hmm. Um, so steering not still on in gear and uh, yeah, on its side. So, um, but you suspect it, wasn't, it was either the wind or yeah. a push from the sky. I, afterwards, I wondered. I wondered. I mean, I could never prove it, and maybe I'm a very nasty person for thinking that, but <laughs> it just seemed very strange, strange to me. So that's the two times your bike was down. Yeah, how'd you get it, was it picked up then? Oh well, I went back into the reception. There was a very nice man, about six foot two, stood there, and I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak English? No, I always feel a bit guilty for asking that because. 
I wish we could speak the language, but he said, yes, I do. And anyway, he came out and uh, he, he picked the bike up as if he was a natural. And I said, do you ride? And he said, no. I thought, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, he, he, he just picked it up because it had the hard luggage on it as well. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so, uh, and then, uh, and of course, I was actually a little bit anxious about riding because of the wind because I'm thinking, wow, if that wind blew the bike over, what's it going to be like riding in it? Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking when you were saying it. It's... And, and I recollect listening to some of, uh, I think it might have been Brian and his wife, Shirley, you know, talking about some of the roads of their travels that they've gone on and the winds. And um, they are, they can be really quite tricky, can't they? Mm-hmm. So I was umming and ah and thinking, well, should I, should I be riding in this? And anyway, in the end, I thought, well, I'm not staying in this hotel another night, so I'm <sighs> going to ride on it. So I, I loaded everything up and thought, right, I'm just going to take it easy. Anyway, it was, it was okay. I just took it steady um, and, uh, and, and got myself off the island but I did find myself in a, in a, a very very tricky position um, later on that day again in, still in that area when I because of the wind when I was at a T-junction and it was quite busy with traffic and there was a roundabout just to the left so I got, I'm watching tra- traffic coming around this roundabout in front of me and traffic coming from my and I wanted to go straight on effectively and it was all I could do to hold the bike up in this wind. It was buffeting me from side to side. And as I say, because of the weight of the bike, it, it took me ah, a good three or four minutes to get out of the junction, the traffic and everything, because I knew that when I went, I just had to give it some and go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, wind is, is, is so un- underestimated, I think. But anyway, I, I survived. <laughs> so yeah, I got, got got around that one. <laughs> okay, so the, the two drops with a bike certainly, you know, adjust or certainly affecting your choice of roads, your your choice of places to go, and some of these roads you'd like to go on. It brings me back to what I what I heard you say at the start about. Yeah, I think what you said was it, it's it would be very difficult to cut the GS cord. So so can you talk about why it would be difficult to get rid of the GS? Well, why is it difficult to go from the GS to a smaller bike? Well, but before I do that, Jim, just let me correct you. It it uh, it, it isn't because of the things I've talked about. They didn't affect the roads I was going on at all. At all, it didn't. It, it it was just that um, there were roads that I was encountering that that the, the, the surface became maybe stupid for me to carry on on my own. I would have gone on if I had if I had a, a companion with me. I would have ridden on them. I would have I would have done it. But but the roads I wanted to ride on, I ride on. Oh, I see. So you're you're sort and, of accomplishing your goal. The, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, we are just talking about the occasional. Um, road in the middle of the countryside uh, in Croatia. These, this, All these were sort of happening in some parts of Slovenia and Croatia. Let's go over to the Alps and ride the Alps. Then I, then, um, uh, I was going up old military roads and all sorts of things, and it was just absolutely fine. The road surfaces were degraded and rotten and gravelly in parts and broken, and sometimes they were rough, but there were roads that I could ride them. Mm, I see. So you're kind of explaining now, as you're saying this, it's sort of shaping why you have the GS and why the GS is more suitable because for most of your riding, possibly 95% or more, it is the perfect bike in your mind. 
it, 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 that's it. it. And I was up in the mountains for most of my ride and the roads up there were just phenomenal, single track, just fantastic. And it's funny because really, you know, a lot of them will be the old roads, probably over 100 years old. A lot of them aren't maintained by the countries anymore because probably only used by you know, adventure riders and car, you know, people that like doing that sort of stuff. Um, and it, because all the main roads now circumnavigate these mountains, you know, big A roads, big sweepy fast roads. Um, and that's why there's never anybody on them except mm. perhaps yourself and cyclists, the skinny cyclists now I'm talking about. <laughs> and you pass them all the time and they are just awesome. Awesome. I just doff my cap and I used to say bravo and all speak to them and clap and all sorts of things, you know. And, uh, they're just amazing. But sometimes I was riding those roads and occasionally I'd think to myself, no, this wouldn't be a very good place to go down because, the, you know, you really are in the middle of nowhere and it could be mountainous or it could be forests and all the rest of it, but it didn't actually bother me. Uh, I just kind of had confidence in myself at that point, I suppose, and always knew that at some point, a cyclist would come around the corner. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but, a cyclist um, that, that's not one of those skinny ones. Well, no, they would be a skinny one, but they're oh. also strong, aren't they, in fairness? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so at, at, on this trip with these two times that, that the bike w was dropped, or, I guess it's really the one time. D does it change at all the way that you, you think about with, with dropping the bike? It didn't actually, you know. Because of the way it happened, it, it wasn't like an accident. It was just, I got it wrong. It was my own error, rider error. And it was just stupid. Shouldn't have happened. Um, and and in my mind, I'd just absolutely make sure I didn't find myself riding my bike fully laden through a field again. But does you it know? make you more cautious or does it reaffirm the fact that you'll figure it out? I think it confirmed the fact that I'd figure it out, actually. Mm. Along with the caution, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so that's, yeah. So because of how I like and what I like to do on my bike is why I like that GS. I like, and, and you know, gosh, I've had so many hours to think in my helmet, in, in, as you know, when you're riding, you know, on your own and all the rest of it. And listening to the radio, raw episodes and stuff, which entertained me along the way, which was just fantastic, you know, because, um, I was riding these roads and listening to sort of other adventure riders describing things that were going on. One that particularly fascinated me was that one, oh gosh, a lady that, oh, she was really interesting. She tragically got HIV and she used to take drugs when she was younger, but she turned her life around. Can you remember who I mean? Heather Ellis. Yeah. Ubuntu is her book. Uh, and I'm going to put a link to that episode in, uh, in the show notes to this episode. Yeah, that was it. And that, that was, you know, I was listening to that and I actually went over that again in some parts because what, what an amazing woman, what an amazing woman. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we had talked about before you left was the, just the concern about, you know, as we get older, we don't necessarily think the same way. And, and of course we talked about menopause too. And, and the fact that that plays with your mind and, and certainly changes things for many women. So how did that work out for you? Oh, I just kept taking the HRT and I was fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, again, you know, I think uh, all the self-doubt and things that come with, with the, all that aging stuff, because I was actually riding my bike, I was happy and I didn't think about any of those things. You know, I, I have never, I, I was 
absolutely staggered about how relaxed and at ease with the world I was. It, 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 life was simple. Um, all the pressures associated with everyday life at home, they'd gone, you know. And I wasn't feeling lonely or alone. And that was possibly one of the biggest revelations. Um, it, it, it was enlightening. I felt peaceful. And I think that, you know, solitude and anonymity suits me, you know, but I've lived a long time on my own as a single person. And I don't see that as being a negative. Mm-hmm. Although I know a lot of couples in relationships find this concept impossible to understand, but that's the truth of it. And, you know, you, you'd get up in the morning and I'd nothing to think about except where I was going that day. And I look at the maps. Um, I took seven maps with me and bought two <laughs> but I love maps and I like to pour over a map and I like to look at the roads and I like to look at the terrain and I like to think right that looks a tricky one let's give that a go you know and, and things like that um and and you know that's all I had to do of a day and I'd load my bike up nine times out of ten the sun was shining set off and immediately that that smile hits your chest you know and inside that lovely warm fuzzy feeling and so I don't think I concentrated on all those other things that I thought would bother me mm. because I was just feeling so content with my lot. It's and, just been the most marvelous trip ever. And and you, I guess, as you're coming to the end of the trip, you're worrying more about the trip ending then about, than about yes. anything else. Yes, it was, it was almost like, well, how do I return to normality after this? You know, um, I will do it again. Um, but again, because, uh, and I suppose I'll go back to the age now thing. I, I wouldn't consider doing something further afield in Europe, I don't think, uh, on my own now at this stage in my life. Maybe if I'd have tried it earlier, I might have done, but I don't think I would now. Um, it, again, listen to one of your podcast people uh, in New Zealand. Um, it's got me thinking about flying to New Zealand and, and uh, hiring a bike for four weeks. Because mm-hmm. New Zealand's always been somewhere I want to go. Um, and I've got rafts of air miles. And if I could get myself there free, if I could get a free flight there effectively, that, that could make it doable. Mm. Um, so that's one I'm going to be looking at over the winter. And then uh, the, other, the other one I, could con- I am considering or I have thought about doing is uh, Spain, as in Picos and the, and the mountains in Spain, which I haven't done. What is it about it? You just said about because of age, you know, you're going to restrict your riding to um, what you consider easier places. What is it about your age that you think would be a limiting factor? Um, only, only I suppose that that I know. I know the sort. All right, they are my only experience, and I know obviously that there are there going to be places in the world exactly the same with the mountains and the same sort of roads on them. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, Jim. Is it just that it's further away? Is it just that it's further away and even more outside of my knowledge? I have knowledge of Europe because I've driven and ridden in Europe for the last 20 years. So it's familiar to me. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. 
I, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to, to push you to go somewhere, you know, that, that's, that's new or, or, or more of a risk for you or anything like that. I'm just sort of curious of the thought process because it almost sounds similar to what you had before you went on this trip where you were concerned about going solo and you're thinking, well, I'm older yes. now and, and I haven't done the, these trips solo. You always had a pillion with you before or rode with other people. And now you did it and you, you realize just how incredibly easy it is. And, and this is something that we hear from travelers yeah. all the time is where they go and they'll say, I mean, one of the common ones I hear is, you know, they'll say people come up to them and say, oh, you're so brave and everything. And they're almost yeah. sheepish about it because they, they say you don't realize just how easy it actually is. Yes. Yes. And, uh, that is very true. Maybe it's, I, maybe I've listened to too many of your podcasts and the <laughs> trials and tribulations at borders and things. And I thought, Oof, I'm not doing any of that. No, you don't feel like it. Well, I mean, that's certainly a valid point because as you get older, I think you have less patience for that sort of thing. And for some people anyway, and maybe that's a limiting factor and maybe that's a wise decision because we do change as we age. Mm, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I was just sort of thinking you you were you were asking the question about the the GS and the umbilical cord, and of course we've already covered the fact that that bike goes where I wanted to go. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That's where I w- went off at a tangent. One of your recent podcasts was about a couple who overloaded a bike amazingly and went down some terrible trail and had uh, the most amazing adventure. But it sounded horrendous. Yes. Um, do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, it was just a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I listened to that, and my jaw, I mean, my mouth was open. It was like it sounded absolutely dreadful. And I looked at the bike and the photographs afterwards, and the luggage and all the rest of it. And I thought, do you know what? Even with my weight and just my panniers and what I was carrying, some of the some of the mountain passes that I was riding because some of them were really steep, you know, they were 20, 22 degrees. Um, it, it was like on a, of a, of a gradient. It, my bike was like, you know, I had to give it a fistful of, you know, I had to keep it going. And I was thinking, how on earth could two people on that bike so laden do even do what they did? You know, it's, it's interesting. Clinton Smout was, was just saying to me on this last trip he, he was on, he was saying that he thinks there's, there's, there's almost three components to, to our riding. One is skill. The other one is confidence. And the other one is luck. You know, he said, even if you have skill and confidence, the luck can just change on you. And I think that that's what happened with the, the episode you're talking about, uh, Jeff and Kelly Travis their luck ran out there. I mean, you know, or, or wasn't there. You know, it, I don't really believe in luck, but happenstance, however it worked out, things stacked against them instead of running along with them. And that's something you can't control. I mean, with, with Clinton's example here, with skill, confidence, and luck, which I really like, because it, it, it does make you think about the fact that, hey, you're not in control of the whole thing here. They're, 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 you, you don't control the whole scene. You only control, in this case, two thirds of it. I mean, there was another fellow on that, that said in the military, they said, you know, you, you make your plan, but remember that the enemy has a, has a say in your plan too, because you have this plan and you go into the field and all of a sudden they do something. It's like, oh, you know, I have to react to that. Well, well that's life, Exchanged, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But it, 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 the, I just, the, these bikes, you know, I mean, what what we're asking them to do and and again i was finding myself thinking you know i'm on my own on this bike and i look at some of the men right i mean europe is awash with gs's they are just the most common bike and i really wish mine wasn't red white and blue i wish i just got a black one that looked a little less obvious you know but um <laughs> because they were just so popular but um uh i looked at the guys riding these bikes with fully laden as well 
often on their own and thinking, you know, we're asked these bikes to do so much. It, they're quite phenomenal, quite amazing machines. Um, but I have been looking at other other bikes, um, and I and I will I will have to consider it next year. I think if I'm from a if I'm going to be sensible. Well, you you also mentioned that your your bike has um, suspension that you can put on automatic. I mean, think about all these things that we have on motorcycles to make it better. We get ABS brakes and and traction control. There's all kinds of things that, that make the bike safer, really, in many ways, safer, more mm-hmm. comfortable, heated seats, cruise control, all these sorts of things. My question is, why don't they have a couple of, of um, carbon fiber arms, one on either side of the bike, that you can ride the bike with? In fact, you could use it for when you stop as a side stand. Instead of having to awkwardly lean your bike in the opposite direction and swing your side stand down, you stop and you hit the, the, the button and it puts down your carbon fiber stands. You know what yeah, I mean? And if you, want, you want to get that patented. <laughs> I, wish that, I wish that they would listen <laughs> and, and make this because if the bike flops over, you hit the switch and it stands the bike up. I mean, it's no problem. I mean, both arms could go at the same ah, time. The bike stood you just up. Remind, yeah, you've just reminded me of something saying that now. So um, uh, a winch, you know, these lifting winches? Um, which, which model are you talking about? Which one are you talking about? The, the- no, so so the, a winch that you can buy to win, um, you can winch your bike up with right and i was going to ask you if you'd considered anything well i have now and and i and and obviously in light of my experience i i have googled and looked at youtube videos and i've looked at these various different ones that you can buy and i did actually try to see if i could get one um on my travels but the company who of the one i was looking at at the time i think they were dutch i think uh, yeah. They couldn't get me one, but it, that was something I thought, ah, well, now that's a measure that I can take that would really, really give me confidence of doing more and going perhaps down some of the places I shouldn't because in the knowledge that I've got this device that I could get my bike up with, you know, not Definitely. being stupid. I'm not talking about being, you know, serious off-road stuff, but still sort of, you know, I, that would instill confidence in me. Um, and maybe, you know, uh, revisit the that alternative luggage, the... Um, the soft luggage that that I saw, and get rid of the varios. You know that would that would lose a, a couple of stone, well, three stone with the bag straight away. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm just still reluctant to lose lose the GS because I just like that bike. The winch idea that you're talking about, you can make one of those because really all it is is a ratchet strap with some sort of pole. You know, and you, and you yes. connect the ratchet strap to the top of the pole and then to your bike and you basically ratchet it up. With yes. a, so the problem with the pole is, of course, the length. So if you can get a pole that pops apart, like a sectional pole, it's a pretty simple setup to have. And that strap can come in handy for even pulling the bike uh, another way. I mean, if, if the bike was over and there were trees, if it was over on the right and there were trees on your left, you could run the strap to the trees and the, to somewhere on your bike up near the top and pull it up straight again. So there's a lot you can do with it. It's, I think it's a very, very good idea for anyone who has trouble picking up your bike. As a matter mm. of fact, for almost for anyone, because picking up your bike, as you found with your back, presents all kinds of problems. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, it, it, it definitely, I think that would be part of my packing, packing regime, you know, moving forward. Um, I think it's just good to carry, you know, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're riding on your own. Um but I have seen some some uh, demonstrations of people doing what you you've just described using ratchets and straps and trees and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's out there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I know that when you're talking about it, it's, it's difficult to get. It seems 
I think is a good idea. Green Chili Adventure Gear makes all kinds of strapping systems and they make amazing straps. They would be one to look at to see if they have something that you could use if you can find a sectional pole. But otherwise, even just buy an inexpensive ratchet strap because it doesn't have to handle much weight. Most of them are going to cover probably 800 pounds, which would be, I I would think, more than enough for for anything you you can do or anything you'd want to do. But but, um, advice. What advice would you offer? Now, having the apprehension before you went on the trip, going on the trip, having the most amazing time, coming back, already looking at your next trip that you're going to do, what advice would you offer? Mm. What advice would I offer? Do you know, I don't know that I'd do an awful lot differently. Um, uh, I didn't plan, as you know, and, and we all talk about that being the best way to go, not to plan, because then you can you can you can it, it frees you up a lot and that did that happened to me several times where I arrived somewhere that I really liked and I thought you know I'd like, I wonder if I could stay another night and and I've got the freedom to do that you know um and I did um I think I planned quite well in terms of everything I took uh I, I thought to take half a liter of oil with me did I need it yes I did um, I got the oil light coming on. Um, I used the compressor because I got a slow puncture mm-hmm. um, because uh, I got a nail in that. Uh, so I had to have that fixed at some point. Um, I had a small toolkit, which I also used because uh, the bike started um, not starting properly, you know, coughing and spluttering uh, as if it was losing connection. And that's actually what it turned out to be. Uh, and just as you, just as where you are, where you, where you don't want these things to happen, which was in, in a queue waiting for a ferry on one of the Croatian islands, right. uh, the bike wouldn't start. Just wouldn't start, wouldn't turn over. Uh, so I was able to pull over and I thought, right, that's really annoying. I kind of felt that that was going to happen because of how the starter had been going, splustering a bit. Yeah. So I had a, a friend in England who'd said, listen, if you've got any pro-, he was a BMW mechanic. He said, any problems, just give me a ring. So I put a call into him, told him what was going on. He said, that sounds like a battery terminal. So when I took the side panel off, sure enough, possibly with me putting the clips on for the compressor when I was inflating the tire, had loosened the, the, the negative a bit. So I just tightened that up and that was sorted. So... I was glad that I'd taken the bits I'd got. I'd, I'm glad I took the compressor. I was glad, I'm glad I had those little bits of tools with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I took some spare batteries because I get getting um, issues between the remote key battery. Kept saying it's failing at 50% and what have you. Oh, I did have a, an interesting moment up, up a mountain. I'd stopped to take a photograph of a glacier. So you can tell how high we were at that time. Was at that time. And uh, when I turned, pushed the button to turn the, ignition on nothing no tft screen nothing black just a little red flashing light oh no and i thought that's inconvenient and i can't it was overcast on this particular day and i oh, goodness god knows where i was and uh, i tried again nothing just this flashing little red light so i thought i wonder if i've got a telephone uh, signal up here you know um, i knew bikes had been passing so i knew i wasn't alone alone mm-hmm. and then i suddenly remembered i'd taken the little spare uh, key, you know, the emergency key, the plastic key. The plastic key. one, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if that might work. So I took my side panel off because I couldn't get my, I couldn't get reach underneath. Uh, sorry, took the pannier off. 
and it sort of showed it to the, the spot underneath the, the rear wheel, you know. And uh, sure enough, it worked and it fired up. Now, I actually don't know yet. And until I speak to the, the garage, I don't know whether that was coincidence or whether it is something to do with the the, the battery issue. The battery terminal, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Mm. But it didn't, it didn't fail again. And I was just glad I had the presence of mind to think about it, you know, uh, yeah. before sort of thinking, you know. Try so the, the other yeah. thing I was going to say is that along with the, the tools and your compressor that you took with you, the other thing that was very smart that you aligned before you left was someone that you can call that is a mechanic um, yeah. that, that you yeah. can deal with because had you needed a part or anything like that, that person would have been able to help you out. And I think that's really Absolutely. important thing to line up. Some others have, have suggested that. I think it's very important, no, ma- no matter the trip. It just gives yeah. you someone, th- a contact with some other connections that you can get a hold of to, to find it, out. It, Absolutely. And I don't know whether I would have needed to use them again, but um, at about 5,000 about five thousand miles, my tyres started to go I think the integrity on the whole tires started to be challenged and they were becoming quite squirmy, quite skiddy on the road surfaces. Now, they weren't the best road surfaces, but nonetheless, I went from feeling quite confident on these tires to suddenly thinking, I'm not confident on these anymore, mm. uh, you know, and I made the decision to um, get them replaced. And Horizons Unlimited Facebook group helped me out there because I uh, put a message out to there. I was in France at that time and I just said this is where I am does anybody know of a, of a, a good motorcycle tyre garage that they could recommend anyway as a result of that post um, uh, a guy got in touch with me uh, called uh, Sean Sean Denton he was living he's a British guy but lived in I think Basel Basel I think they pronounce it just in near near to uh, where I was not far from Strasbourg and, and another town and uh as a result of communication with him, he actually got me an appointment with this BMW garage in a place called, uh, it looks like Mulhouse, but I know that's not how you pronounce it. It's probably something like Mullows or something. <laughs> anyway, I ended up going there to this BMW garage and um, what what a great bunch of guys. The guy that I was dealing with spoke fluent English, um, so nice, so helpful, but he pointed out that one, I got a problem with the valve. Uh, but that was okay because it was under warranty. So we sorted that out. But then he said, you've also got virtually no brake pad on your rear tires anymore, on your rear brakes anymore. Mm. Uh, he said, they need replacing. And I thought, well, I'd had a service before I went, so I knew they were okay. But clearly all the riding and the braking and the switchbacks and stuff, it was hard stuff. I, mean, I wasn't surprised. He said, you've, you've got a couple of hundred miles in them. But as soon as he made me aware, I thought, no. And now I know that there's a question mark there. I don't want them. He said, the problem is we haven't got any brake pads. He said, and there's an issue across all of Europe of getting brake pads. Oh. Um, yeah, exactly. So it was like, all right. Anyway, it then turned out that uh, they had another concession, uh, a BMW garage in Strasbourg, and they had one pair. So I all said, these GSs right. riding around. You're saying you're seeing them everywhere and, and no brake pads. Yeah. No, I know. Wow. And yeah, and asked, so, so he said, well, you could go there, but it wasn't the way I was going. And the way I was plotting to go or planning on going was over these mountains that I really wanted to ride over. So I said, is there any chance there might be another garage nearer, further west, which is the way I'm going? Anyway, they had a conflict, the guy that was speaking in French. And the next thing they turned around and said, we'll sort it for you. We're going to take a set of brand new pads off one of the brand oh, new geez. bikes in the showroom and put them on your bike. Oh, wow. 
and I just I was blown away. I couldn't believe how kind. Yeah. How wow. kind. And how inconvenient for them. That I mean, that's just it was so nice. Yeah. Wow. That's that's great. They they were just brilliant, and and you know, kindness like that is just. Uh, it's just fabulous. But that guy, you know, eventually, as I was leaving, he said, are you, are you alone, riding alone? Um, and I said, yeah. And he said, wow. You know, and like you were saying before, you feel a little bit sheepish, you know, it's not actually that hard. <laughs> he said, respect, you know. And he said, why, why, you know, why are you riding on your own? Which is a question I obviously got a lot. And I just said, well, the men that I ride with at home, their wives won't let them come with me for some reason, you know, which usually got, got a laugh. Um, but uh, but in truth, you know, Jim, I have been probably far happier on my own than I would have been riding with anybody other than the bestest riding buddy. And I think it's been said before, you're far better on your own than riding with somebody that, you know, you, you just have no issues. There's no issues, is there, if you're on your own? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, yeah, you're in charge of everything and you make the decisions and deal with the consequences all on your own. No one, no one to blame or reward but yourself. So it's, um, uh, and, and anyone riding with me this trip would have got sick and tired of me stopping because of the number of times for photographs. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just taking pictures all the time. Just, uh, I had asked you about advice and you, you sort of talked about the things that you prepared and how that worked out, which was great. But what advice would you offer with someone? Because what I'm thinking is, Ali, what you said at the start, when we oh. talked last time, was, you know, you yeah. had all these apprehensions that you worked through pretty much before you left, but but you really cured by by the sounds of it, by being on this trip. So yeah. from that perspective. I think I would, I would say... Uh, but, don't just just put, put put cautions to one side, if you will. Just don't don't overthink it, which I think I was in the beginning, um, and, and putting lots of what ifs in there. And along the way, I was t- you know when I was trying to steal myself, telling myself I could do this. Um, I reminded myself that I ride my bike all the time at home in the UK, and I'll go away for weekends and do this, and I never have any problems. And it's so what's the difference? And and I think that. Uh, don't overthink it. Literally, do not overthink it. Just, you know, be sensible about planning in terms of what you're going to take and what you're not going to take and don't take too much. I would say I did quite well on that, actually. I was quite pleased. There's only a few things that I would not put in again. Um, but but don't overthink it. Have confidence in yourself and, and you know, you, what you can do your own, but, you know, your own beliefs. And I think as long as you've you've got all your insurances in place and you know you've got a mechanically sound vehicle and you've, you know, you've got good, t- you, you just put everything that you should be doing like a responsible rider, then I, I would, I, I would just say to any woman in my situation now, and I did meet one abroad who was riding with her husband and I just said, you, you ought to try it. She said, I am almost inspired. And, um, hmm. and that was the other thing that, for the first time in my life, I have gone at a pace, my own pace that has been abnormally slow, abnormally relaxed. But that's because I was relaxed and because I was riding how I wanted to, where I wanted to. And certainly they didn't call for riding fast. Um, and that was just, the pace was so nice. If I told you the maximum RP, you're going to think I'm an anorak now, but if I told you the best MPG I got out of one tank of fuel was 72.4. Wow, that's amazing. That is the pace at which on occasions I was riding and just as happy as Larry. 
Well, this is great that it worked out so well. Ellie, I'm so pleased to talk with you and find out, you know, how the trip went when because we spoke before you left. And thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Before I go, um, can I give a shout out for John Evans and Andy, two guys that came, approached me in, in France in Ornans. They were really nice and they came over and sat down and talked to me for, for a good hour. Um, and it was, that was quite rare to happen. Not many people did. They, they just don't. So with them being British lads, I thought I'd give them a bit of a shout out and say mm. thank you to them as well, as well as Sean who helped me with the tyres. Speaking with Allie Pepperdy, just back from her first solo motorcycle trip in her home near Manchester in the UK. We've got some great photos of Allie in the show notes, both on this trip and then from earlier in her life as well, all in the in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to the episode that she mentioned that she was listening to about Heather Ellis, in case you're interested in hearing that. That's a, a very good episode as well. And also a link to the last episode we did with Allie. So if you missed that one, you might want to go back and listen to what she was like before she went on this trip. All in the show notes for for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you. Thank you for listening. If you're not doing it already, we need your support. The show is built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker and $50 or more gets you a shout out on Raw. But we would love it if you would consider the patron option which is a bunch of things there and you'll get stickers as well. So anyway, all at the website. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening once again, and I will talk to you next week. This is Chris Liet from Liet Corporation, the innovator of the neck brace, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 